Hey, Bard listeners. If you live in New York City and love the public library, we need your help. This past fall, our public libraries sustained deep mid-year cuts that forced an end of seven-day service and reduction of our materials and programs. We're now facing more budget cuts for the coming fiscal year. Libraries across the city stand to lose $58.3 million in funding. If these cuts are not reversed, we may have to reduce materials and programming yet again, including further reductions to our days of service. As many as half of all New York City libraries would be open only five days a week. The good news is you can help. Send a letter to city leaders telling them that you support the library. It's easy. It only takes 30 seconds and you can do it now. If you live in Brooklyn, go to BKLYNlibrary.org slash standup, all one word, to fill out the form. If you live in any of the other boroughs, you can send a letter on behalf of Queens Public Library or New York Public Library. Learn how at investinlibraries.org. Thank you so much for your support. The checkout desk was here. And obviously back then it was like the stamp on the card in the back of the book type of thing. And the little machine that kind of would desensitize the the little thump sound that I miss kind of. This is Raquel Penzo. We met her at Marcy Library in Brooklyn's Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood, where Raquel used to go when she was growing up. There were detectors here, so if you tried to walk out with a book, it would beep if you didn't check your book out. So that's not here anymore. So that used to be right there. Did that happen to you? No, I always check my books out. I I was a good girl. (laughs) I was a good Catholic girl. Raquel explained that she went to the library a lot as a kid, but that this was her first time back at Marcy Library in a while. She had a lot of great memories of the place because when she was growing up, she came to this building almost every day. The library was like the only place I could come unsupervised and without permission. Um, you know, there were no cell phones, so I would just come after school, and when I came home late, they'd be like, where were you? I was at the library, and I'd show my proof that I had my books. They'd be like, oh, okay. I think they just felt like it was like nothing bad could happen in a place where there were books. Um, literally, school and the library were the only places I could go because, I mean, it was Bed-Stuy in the 80s and 90s. It was the middle of the crack era. It was pretty dangerous. Um, They just felt like if it was a place where you were learning, then it was safe to be there. Raquel now works for BPL. She's actually a colleague of mine and works on our team as one of our copywriters. She has two daughters, and when her younger daughter was in middle school, Raquel came up against the same issue that her parents had faced when she was growing up, where to send her kid after school. She aged out of after-school care, and I just felt she was too old for a nanny. And when I try to look up the laws in New York, when you can leave a child home alone, they were very nebulous. Like there was no, like, yes, at this age, you can leave them home. It was like, it depends on your child's maturity. And I'm like, I don't want someone to call Child Protective Services on me. So I said, okay, fine. Why don't you meet me? It was Windsor, the Windsor Terrace Library. Just stay there until I get off work at five. I'll walk over, get there by 545, six o'clock. And then we go home. And she was like, okay. Like mother, like daughter, right? And Raquel's experience isn't so unique. I mean, many older children come into our branches after school either to hang out with their friends or get homework done. It's a safe place for parents to come and pick their kids up after school. Yeah, you just stroll down to our youth wing at Central Library after 3 p.m. and you'll see what we're talking about. I started coming here in third grade. She started coming in kindergarten. Kindergarten. Samaya and Gabrielle are 8 and 10 years old. 
and they come to the library every day after school. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We do our homework. And then if the library has a program upstairs in the youth wing, we go there and we have some fun and we learn new things. And if there's something wrong, like if somebody's bullying you or something, you could tell the librarians and the librarians will take care of it, solve it easily without any yelling or screaming. I do my homework. When I'm done with that, I'll, I'll just come and get books and start reading and, and being just me. Amir is also eight years old, and he's in the same tutoring group as Samaya and Gabrielle. And I like the Brooklyn Library because I feel like when I'm at my grandparents' house, it makes me feel like like all these books and stuff I see just make me feel comfortable and to read and just do me, just be me. There's a lot of great programming at the library to keep kids busy after school. There's homework help, there's gaming groups, arts and crafts, and manga book clubs. But it's not only for the kids, right? At the library, we're making an effort to serve the people who take care of the kids, whether that's daycare workers, nannies, grandparents, or babysitters. We've got stuff for you to do, too. We're kind of here for all of it. I'm Krissa Corbett-Kavoris. And I'm Adra Aduse. You're listening to Borrowed, stories that start at the library. So we heard from Samaya, Amir, and Gabrielle, and also from Raquel, who all have used the library as a safe place after school. But we're calling this episode stroller parking, right, Krista? Right, which means we're going to talk about the little kids, the infants and toddlers, and the people who take care of them. Because... Well, it's a joy to have a tiny kid. It's also a ton of work. You've either got to stop working and take care of your own kid, pay for a caregiver full time, or enroll your kid in a daycare center. And the coordination is kind of, you know, incredible. My husband and I have a two-year-old, and it was just astounding to us how much childcare became this just all-consuming topic for parents of young kids. Not to mention it's really expensive, right? Yeah. In New York State, the average cost of infant care is over $15,000 a year. That's more than in-state tuition for college. It's more than average rent for the year in New York State, which is, you know, mind-boggling. And New York City has incredibly this universal pre-K program for four-year-olds, but there are four years of time to fill before that. It's a challenge that all new parents have to navigate. Parents like Patricia Moore, who stopped working when she had kids and stayed at home to take care of them. And, you know, so I thought to myself, hmm, you know, what? What can I do while I'm home to bring in an income? At the time, Pat was going to the library a lot. She lives in Harlem, so she went to a branch of the New York Public Library. And she was so excited to find out that they were offering a daycare certification course. You know, I took the course and I got my certificate. And then I opened up a family daycare at home where my children were members in addition to some families that lived in my building. You know, for Pat, it was the perfect situation. She didn't have to pay for childcare. She got extra income from the other families whose children stayed with her during the day. But it is actually a lot of work to set up a daycare center in New York City. You have to have a certificate. Your home has to pass a health and safety inspection. And the library helped her navigate all of that. She even took CPR classes and early literacy prep, all at NYPL. Pat ran a daycare center in her home for about three years. She took her kids to parks, libraries, and museums. 
And when her kids got older, she stopped the daycare business and got a job at Brooklyn Public Library at the New Lots branch, where she's now the children's librarian. New Lots is a neighborhood in East New York with lots of immigrants. One in three people there are born abroad, often from the Dominican Republic, Guyana, or Jamaica. But it also has high rates of poverty compared to the rest of New York City. One in three residents of East New York lives below the poverty line. And perhaps it goes without saying that the cost of childcare is even more of a weight for people living below the poverty line. According to the Economic Policy Institute, a person making minimum wage would have to work from January to August full time in order to just pay for infant care for one child. And that's before thinking about housing and food and clothing for yourself or your kid. So, you know, impossible, basically. And with all these factors, Pat saw the need for more home daycare centers in East New York where she was working. Not only are home daycare centers often more affordable than centers situated outside the home, but there's also an advantage for immigrant communities to have their kids cared for in someone's home where they might share the culture and the language. I just thought about myself and my own experience at home, you know. I said, well, why don't we train the women in this neighborhood to become licensed business owners? Why don't we train them so that they can open their own family daycares? So Pat started a program called Root Resource at New Lots, with funding from the library's incubator program, which we've mentioned before on the show. Pat's program was modeled off the one she attended at NYPL, and it offered education on how to open a childcare business in your own home and help with the certification process. One of the biggest advantages of having the program in the library was the fact that Pat could instruct participants in early literacy, which is something we do all the time, and it's so critically important in those first few years of a kid's life. And of course, what's wonderful is that education can happen in any language. Absolutely. Pat's program first ran in 2016 for about a dozen participants. It was such a success that it was funded for the next two years with a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services. So dozens more got to take advantage of the program. So do we know if any of the graduates of the program opened their own daycare centers? A few of them did, yes, actually. Um, And others found jobs at daycare centers outside of the home. So the skills the participants learned in classes were definitely transferable. Yeah, there are so many ways to become a child care provider. And when it came time for us to figure out child care for my son, we decided to hire a nanny for his first year and a half. And that is an option available to some families. And you can be sure that people who work as nannies use the library a lot too, but in a different way. Hey, my name is Diana Rojas. I've been a nanny for the past decade in New York City. We met Diana at Brooklyn Central Library a few months ago in the children's section with the sound of kids playing all around. Diana came from Colombia, where she had worked as a teacher, and she said that when she got to the U.S., she wanted to find work with kids. It's very different, but uh, and of course the language is a big barrier because um, it's awful when you can't communicate or you can you know explain things to the little kids but um you know every day gets better (laughs) diana was able to find work as a nanny for a family on the upper west side she would commute there from queens until the family moved to westchester and now she commutes to westchester to care for the kids being with little kids all day is a joy but it is also a lot of work And the nannies know that better than anyone. You've got to be coming up with things to do all day or else you're stuck at home. So a lot of nannies turn to the library. Yeah, the library has been a a very big part of their life as a nanny because the library always has um, activities for the kids and it's a magnet. 
And Deanna is not the only one. You know, if you walk into Central Library's youth wing at certain times of the day, there is a pack of strollers at the back that's like three rows deep. People come to the library for our story times. And in particular, one of our most popular programs is called Stomp, Clap, and Sing. On Tuesday mornings, you know, we have this amazing picture that'll be up on our website of the stroller parking at Central as it is on one of those days. It's definitely a sight to see, so you should check it out. Um, But something the library realized a few years ago that I found interesting was that even though both the caregiver and the child were coming into our branches, there was really only programming for kids. There wasn't much going on for the caregivers in particular. So that's when BPL Presents, our arts and culture department here at the library, created writing workshops just for nannies inspired by the work of poet Mark Nowak. I think, you know, I was a little bit skeptical at the beginning about this idea of sort of caregivers writing stories for children. This is Fadwa Abbas. She's been leading the Nanny Fairy Tale Writing Workshop for the past four years. But I think, you know, one of the really fun things about the class is the whole conversation is kind of about how you can hide a lot of really powerful critique in children's stories and how, you know, in some ways, you know, you're engineering the future when you're telling stories to children. So we read the version of The Little Mermaid that's written for five-year-olds and we sort of deconstruct the language and then everyone is really horrified by what is being communicated in that story. So who wants to go first? All right. Elephant and Hippo. In the sweltering midday heat in the safari, the elephant was trying to find water to drink and cool himself off. On a Saturday morning, about a dozen women gathered in the kids' programming room. A lot of these women had been to this room before, but it was for the kids' programs, and this was an event just for them. I don't have water, nor where there's any. Elephant left, barely able to walk. I wrote a fable about a cat and a dog, and um, kind of the moral of the fable was money isn't everything. So there's like a comparison in the life of the cat and the life of the dog. That's Felicia, one of the participants in the workshop. And with the rest of her classmates, Felicia read her story aloud and got feedback for it. And she said that part can be pretty nerve-wracking. I guess, like, overall, this whole process is, like, me trying to be more out of the box that I put myself in. So to be more outgoing, like, reading it with these group of ladies, like, it's been a good um, process for me. During this 10-week workshop series, Fadwa guides the students through different genres of stories for kids. Fables, origin stories, fairy tales, and they write their own stories, too, based on prompts that Fadwa gives out. Participants can go in any direction with their writing. They might tell a modern, updated fairy tale, or they might retell a fable from their own cultures and put a spin on it. Right, and Fadwa mentioned that the fact that there are so many cultures and languages represented in the class is what makes the workshop really unique. What attracted me to the class is that I knew it was going to be composed of largely immigrants, and I am an immigrant myself, and so what it meant for me, and that's what made it attractive, is that I was going to be in a room full of, and I predicted correctly, mostly women who were bringing a wealth of experience and life and storytelling and critiques of all kinds of stuff from all over the place, and that's always a very exciting 
environment for me to be in. Fadwa makes sure that her program is designed to bring in stories from cultures all over the world. But for a lot of the participants, the inspiration is coming closer to home, as it did for Jerry, another participant in the writing workshop. I'm working on a story that um, illustrates the um, pre-K process in New York City. It's um, Crocodile and Tiger Mom. And it is very, it's humorous, but it also reflects how competitive it is in New York City to get your child into an independent school and this pre-K program and what parents will do at any length to get their child into a school. (laughs) I I want to read that. Yeah, same. (laughs) The range of stories in this class is pretty impressive. And at the end of this 10-week session, students get up on stage and read their stories for an audience of their friends, family, and often the kids they care for. It's an exciting celebration to end the workshop, but it's not just about the final product. For Jerry, writing is also a way to process things that are going on in her life. I had a life-changing event, um, an illness, where I um, experienced a mild stroke. And I, at the time, I was working in corporate America, a very high-pressure job, been doing that for a 30 years, and I decided I just want to do something that I truly enjoy. And what that is, is what I'm doing now, caring for children. But writing gives me an opportunity to really think through some of my interactions with kids. And if a child is having separation anxiety, there's a story that I can make up and talk to them about it, and so that they don't feel that it's really related to them, even though it is. And they can then relate to the character and realize that you're not the only person going who misses their mom. Diana Rojas, the participant who works for a family in Westchester, she also uses storytelling in her work with kids. And Diana sees the fairy tale itself as a teaching tool. I love to tell my kids stories. I want to erase the concept of be, uh, having a princess in the fairy tale. And I want to do a story based on a real kid from a real world with real parents and real problems. The fairy tale writing workshop has been running for several years at the library. So far, 170 caregivers have graduated from the program. And listeners should know that the fairy tale workshops are ongoing. So if you're a caregiver in the area, whether you're a grandparent or a family member, please check out our website for more information about the next session. And now it's time for our book match segment. So here to recommend some books for us is librarian Emily Heath. Welcome to Borrowed, Emily. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Tell us about the books you brought for us. So I brought three. I brought an adult book, a middle grade book, and a picture book. So I had a really tough time picking a picture book fairy tale retelling because there are a million of them, and there are so many wonderful ones. But the one that I had to land on um, in the end was called After the Fall by Dan Santat. And it's the Humpty Dumpty story. And it's the story of what happens if Humpty Dumpty actually did survive the fall, but couldn't deal with life afterwards. So he's kind of traumatized by this fall that's happened to him. Um, He used to love climbing up on the wall, watching the birds, being near the sky. After the fall, everything's changed. And gradually, he begins the process of healing and ventures back up onto the wall. And something 
shocking happens. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but I have to say this is one of the more shocking things I've ever seen happen in a picture book, and it always makes the kindergarten kids gasp when it happens. I love that. So that was After the Fall by Dan Santat. And yes. what's your middle grade book? My middle grade book is called The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste. It's a retelling of a Haitian story, very loosely based on a Haitian folktale, The Magic Orange Tree. And she's infused it with a few of the elements of Cinderella and a lot of local folklore from her name of Trinidad. She um, grew up on the tales of the Jumbies, who were these spirits who lived in the forest, and they took all different kinds of shapes, and they're terrifying. There's the the Duen, who are like little childlike creatures who call to you from the forest, and maybe they sound like your mom and dad, and so you follow them into the forest. So Tracy Baptiste grew up on these stories, but she never found any of them on the shelves of the library, and so she decided to tell her own version of it. I love that, too, because it's um like that age range, that, that sort of fantasy, that High yeah, fantasy. it's like scary it's, fantasy. Yeah. It's not too scary. Right. It's not, you know, terrifying, but yeah. it's, yeah, it's it's great for fantasy lovers. Um, and you said you had a grown-up one for us. I do, book. yeah. So my favorite teller, retailer of fairy tales for adults is Helen Oyoyemi, and she has several novels that are very innovative and take take on kind of these strange and ch- challenging retellings of fairy tales. Um, but the one, my favorite of them is Mr. Fox, which is very loosely based on the Bluebeard story. Mm. So it's the story of a male novelist, Sinjin Fox, and he encounters one day in his office his muse, who is a young woman named Mary Fox. Um, She's maybe fictional, she's maybe alive, but she comes into his office and decides to take him to task for all the violence that he's inflicted on the female characters in his stories. Um, Mary ends up challenging Mr. Fox to a sort of storytelling duel in which they chase each other in and out of each other's stories. They turn the tables on each other every time they meet. Um, It's a challenging read. This is not like a linear story where you have a beginning, middle, and an end. So if you're up for something a little bit unconventional and challenging, uh, it's a really playful, thought-provoking experience for a read. I love that. Okay, so the middle grade book was The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste, and this is Mr. Fox by Helen Oyoyemi. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library and is hosted by me, Krissa Corbett-Kavoris, and Adjoa Aduse. You can find a transcript of this episode at our website, bklynlibrary.org slash podcasts, as well as a link to the book match list gathered by librarian Emily Heath. Borrowed is produced and written by Virginia Marshall, with help from Fitzy Bodenheimer, Jennifer Prophet, Meryl Friedman, and Robin Lester-Kenton. Our music composer is Billy Libby. We are recording from Central Library's Information Commons Recording Studio. And guess what? If you have a BPL library card, you can reserve time here too and make your own podcast. Borrowed will be back in two weeks. And since you made it all the way to the end of the episode and you're still listening, here's a bonus from Samaya and Gabrielle. We asked them what they would do to the library to make it more fun. And it turns out both girls want to live in the library. I, I will make it my house. So I will have a bedroom, and then this whole tech loft will be my um, my place to play. And then I have a kitchen. I use the youth wing up there as a guest room. Yeah, and then I'll still have the people at the cafe working here, so I could get food, and I'll get food for free, and I'll still pay them because I'll be rich. And we can have a jacuzzi. Yeah. yeah. And we can invite all our friends over. Mm-hmm. And we can have like big parties. We can. Um, we can even invite Megan Trainer. We can invite Cardi B.
<laughs> so Megan and Cardi, if you're listening, consider this a formal invitation. Yeah, that's right. You're welcome anytime at BPL.